Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our October book club episode, and we are talking about The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelon. And, and we'll see how scared Becca was. <laughs> no, I liked it. I, I was less scared than I anticipated. So hats oh, off to you for a good pick. I'm excited to discuss it. But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Newly, the clothing rental subscription service we're both totally obsessed with. We'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but bad on paper listeners can take $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BOP20. Olivia. It's been a while since we talked. We pre-recorded last week's episode because you had an international trip. And yes, we haven't talked in two weeks. So let's catch up on highs and lows. Yeah, truly so much has happened. <laughs> but for highs, my high is that I had my England trip. I had another group trip. We were in London and then the Cotswolds. And it was just like, the coolest group of people, by the way, couldn't stop singing your praises. There was oh, copies so nice. of the Christmas Orphans Club abound. It was just really, really, really lovely. And I just love group travel so much. Like I, it just, it really, I don't know, nourishes my soul. And I was also able to see a couple old friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. I saw my friend Kirsten's new house in Newcastle in the North of England and I saw my college friend Charlotte. So it was just a really nice, very busy, but very nice trip. What was your specific favorite activity or meal or place? Like what was your drilling in well, we, your highest high? Okay. So one day we spent just exploring villages of the Cotswolds, places I'd never been before. And it was the perfect sort of misty fall day. It's just the most magical place. Like, I know it's kind of basic to love this place, but like literally bury me in the Cotswolds. It's incredible. I can't wait to go back. And then a smaller high is that one evening, like in between sort of the events of the day and dinner, everyone on the trip like went to this glass conservatory at the hotel and it was raining. So the rain was falling oh on the glass. Everyone had their own table with their little journal or their book and a glass of wine. And it was just so quiet and wonderful. And it was like, yes, like this is why I wanted to have a trip like this. And it was just so special. I'll never forget it. I don't think. Oh, that sounds so magical. What's your high? Um, my high is that tomorrow I am about to go on a trip to New Orleans for my friend and Rom-Com Pod's co-creator Rachel's 40th birthday. So it's like a big group trip. I haven't been to New Orleans. I've been two or three times, but I haven't been in a very long time. I was going to say I haven't been in my 30s, but I don't know if that's true. Oh, well, have fun. It's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, I'm excited to go and to experience it differently than I have in the past. Yeah. Do you have like any specific fun things planned or is it just kind of like hopping around? There is a whole itinerary. I have been very hands off because I have been very wrapped up in my own stuff with book launch. So I am along for the ride. Oh, great. Well, I can't wait to follow along. Yeah. Uh, What is your low? I mean, as I mentioned, we pre-taped last week's episode. And for the past 10 days, I've just been consumed by everything that's going on in the Middle East. I am truly horrified by the violence that's happening right now over there. And mm -hmm. this is the first time we're recording since the terror attack by Hamas that happened in Israel. And I cannot 
overstate how much I'm glued to the news, which also makes me feel guilty because then I'm like, did I not care enough about Ukraine or other awful things that have happened in our world? Because I feel extra glued to this, although this is not about me whatsoever. But I'm just horrified by the scale of violence. I'm like, I'm sickened by the murder and torture and kidnapping of innocent Israelis. I can't even imagine what the hostages or their families are living through right now. I can't even fathom. And I'm equally sickened by the death of so many Palestinian civilians and the denial of basic human rights to so many more. We're recording this on October 18th, and truly it terrifies me to think about what the situation will be when this episode airs in a week. And like, I'm not saying this as a joke and I'm not saying this to fearmonger, but I'm just trying to give you a picture of my mental state. Last weekend, I went upstate for a girl's trip. And when I got in the car, the first thing I said was like, hey, I brought extra underwear in my laptop in case World War III happens when we're gone. So I just, it literally feels like we're on the precipice of something even bigger. And I'm just, I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm gutted for all the innocent civilians on the ground who are in the midst of all this violence. And like, it's just always on my mind. Yeah. I mean, I definitely echo everything that you said. It's all very horrifying. And I feel like it's really interesting being in the world right now because it's very easy to swing between like so overwhelmed by the horror of it all that you're like kind of numb to it, but then back to horrified once again. And, you know, you want to be aware of everything. (laughs) And at the same time, it's so overwhelming and terrifying. So I'm right there with you. And I share all of the feelings that you expressed. I don't know how to pivot out of this. I don't either. (laughs) We're here for book club. Yeah. So let's book club, but please know that everything that is happening in Israel and Gaza is on our minds. And we are not a news podcast, but we are concerned citizens of the world. Yes. All right. So I did the plot summary this time. I made it real quick. Before we get into this discussion, I do just want to reiterate that there's a strong trigger warning for sexual assault. So if that is too much for you, you should turn this off now. So summary of the book, Aidan Thomas is a loving father, a recent widower, and a pillar of his community in his small upstate New York town. There is just one thing. He's also a serial killer. The book is told in alternating point of views from the woman in his shed, who is the only victim he's ever let live, his 13-year-old daughter, and the woman he is dating. So I read this book and I absolutely loved it. And that's why I chose it for book club. (laughs) But after I chose it, I was kind of like, Becca does say that the book that she hates the most is the type of scary book where it's something that could happen to you in real life, which is this. (laughs) So I then second guessed myself. But talk to me about your expectations about this book versus how you felt about it in the end. So the only thing... I really knew about it before going into it was that review from Jordy's book club where he says it's like Gilmore Girls if Luke was a serial killer. So that was my only (laughs) my only intel on it. I honestly expected it to be much scarier. And I know you said it wasn't graphic, which I did appreciate, but I expected it to be more terrifying and I didn't find it to be. And I was really, really nervous because I left it until the last minute to read this because I I wanted to have fresh reactions. But in doing that, the terror attack had already happened in Israel, and I was already so stressed about the state of the real world that I was like, oh, fuck, I don't want to read this book right now. Like, I don't want to 
add fake terror on top of my real terror. And yeah, that's fair. So I was real, I was real not looking forward to this. I started it. I was in DC for two days last week to help a friend with something. And I started reading it on my flight back. And I was just gripped immediately. I was so into it, really liked the short chapters. And I was not as bothered as I expected to be by this because it starts in Medius Race. The woman who's known as Rachel has already gotten kidnapped. She's been living with Aiden for five years. And she's kind of blasé about the whole thing. You know, she's not terrified. She's kind of accepted it. And because the whole thing is told in second-person perspective, I think that informed my level of fear that I was feeding off of her example. And so I didn't feel terrified. Like, if it had started with her capture and it was like, what's going to happen to her? I think that would have been much more pulse-pounding. But because she's kind of resigned to this, and we know that obviously it's not good, but she's managing... It wasn't as bad for me as I expected. Okay. That makes sense. That's really interesting. I never would have thought about that, but you're totally right. An interesting thing about this book was that I read it without having read a single review. Like I just kind of, I was like, oh, this speaks to me. How did you find it? Just the cover? Well, you know, I think I have followed Clemence on Twitter for many, many, many years, but like I, I saw the cover. I just saw it around. The concept of it really appealed to me and I just really wanted to pick it up. So I did, but I had not seen any detailed reviews. I didn't look on Goodreads. So after I chose it for book club, I looked on Goodreads and I saw people in the Facebook group talking about the level of scariness of the book. And I was literally shocked at the variety of opinions ranging from this is the scariest thing ever to not scary at all. And I was going to ask you what worked about it for you You already kind of talked about that, but why do you think there are so many vastly different opinions? Like, I feel like it's such a wide range. And of course, that's true of every book, but I feel like this one in particular, just in our Facebook group alone, I was amazed that like someone could be like, this is too scary for me. I had to put it down. And someone could be like, not scary at all. (laughs) I don't know. It just kind of interested me. I don't know. I think it depends... I think everyone has their own internal scary meter. I wouldn't say this wasn't scary at all, but I expected it to be an eight or a nine, and it was probably a four or a five, and I was fine with that. I also think it depends so much what you read. Like, I'm thinking of the really graphic, violent thrillers that Grace reads, in which I imagine if you then switch to this, you would be like, this is a walk in the park. But if you're like me and yeah. you're mostly reading romance and you're keeping up with the Bad on Paper podcast book club and you pick this up and it's outside of your norm, I could see it being really scary. Yeah, it's true. You're right, though, because like the concept of this is so much scarier to me because it felt so much more realistic. But sometimes like the murdery, like super graphic thrillers can feel really campy to me, mm. <laughs> like almost like so graphic that it doesn't feel real. I also think it depends how your brain is because I feel like this book left a lot of blanks for you to fill in. It was clear what was happening. It was clear he was Mm -hmm. raping her. It was clear that she was living in these horrible conditions. And for my mind, I said, let's just 
keep glossing. We're going to keep on keeping on because I don't want to think about this. But I think if you have a really active imagination or this is something you wanted to think about, you could fill in those blanks pretty graphically and horrifically. And this book could be much scarier based on how your brain makes it. But that wasn't on the page. That's true. I liked that though. Like sometimes I would also just breeze over it, but then sometimes it would force me to think a little bit deeper about what was going on, but it was kind of choose your own adventure. You're right. Well, let's take a quick ad break. And then I want to hear your thoughts on this book. So it's my favorite time of the month. It is the time when I get to sing the praises of pros, the custom hair care products that I'm absolutely obsessed with. So I've been using my custom formula shampoo and conditioner for over three years, and I truly cannot recommend it enough. And here's the thing. It's completely custom. So even if we have completely different hair types or hair goals, they're going to create something that works perfectly for you. Here's how it works. You get started with their in-depth hair quiz, which asks you about everything from your hair goals to your styling routine and exercise routine so they can get the full picture. Then they analyze over 85 factors to come up with a completely custom formula to address your needs. So for example, I told them I wanted my hair to feel thicker and healthier and more full. And let me tell you, they delivered. My hair has really felt just a lot lighter and bouncier and fuller and not so just like glued down to my head (laughs) as a fine hair people will relate since I started using pros. And we've got to talk about the scent. So Olivia and I both get the Corsica scent, which is Anjou pear, peony, and cedar. And it just levels up my whole shower experience. And I like knowing that Pros is a carbon neutral certified B Corporation and an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All of their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And if you're feeling interested but iffy, trying Pros is completely risk-free. If you're not positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, They'll take the products back, no questions asked. Custom, made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash BOP. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash BOP for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. So Olivia, tell me your thoughts on this because you are a thriller connoisseur. So what did you like about this? What made it stand out to you? How did this become the one (laughs) that was book club pick worthy? I feel like I just had a very pure reading experience with this book. Whereas like it just interested me. I picked it up and like from page one, I was hooked. And also like I wanted to underline sentences left and right. I just found it really fast paced, really interesting. It made me think a lot about violence towards women, which sounds terrible, but like in a different kind of way, (laughs) which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. I was really inspired by it. Like as a writer, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I thought it did something different with the second person, which I definitely want to hear your thoughts about in a second. It really just like ticked every box for me in terms of like a book I love. Uh, So it was a really nice reading experience for me, even though it is dark. And also talking about the language and the the line level writing, it's even more impressive that the author, that English is her second language. She's French. I know it blew my mind. But how did you feel about the second person? Because I have to admit when I first started reading it, I was hooked, but I was like, oh, is it going to be like this throughout the whole thing? I don't know if this is going to be for me. Do you have strong feelings about second person point of views in general? I don't have strong feelings in general. I think it's hard to do. And I think that's by and large why it's rarely done. 
in this case, it didn't bother me. I clocked it at first that it was told in the second person. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But then as I kept reading, I was so invested in the story that I almost forgot that it was in the second person. And I don't know, it just blended into the background. I mean, I think it's useful that you're putting yourself in Rachel's shoes. And I think that's probably why it was told in the second person. But it flowed really, really well. And it didn't feel clunky to me at all. What about you? Yeah, I really liked it. It definitely like took a little bit for me to get used to. But as you said, like eventually I just forgot that it was happening. And I think it also added like a sense of tension in a way. Uh, It made it feel very, I don't know, intense, I guess, is the best word I can think of. But let's talk about the characters for a second. So there were so many different all-female point of views in this book. Did you have a favorite or one that you were drawn to in particular? You know, I think it's a testament to the author that I was incredibly invested in all three of them. I think I was maybe if I was forced to pick, was most invested in Rachel, the woman in the shed. Rachel in air quotes, because that's not her real name and I don't want to take away her humanity. But I was completely invested in all of them because, you know, I think Rachel had the most physical stakes in terms of will she live or die? She's being held against her will by this man. But then the other two had such high emotional or potentially physical stakes, you know, what will it do to Cecilia's relationship with her father if she finds out that Rachel is somebody that he kidnapped and that he is a serial killer? I wasn't truly worried about Cecilia at any point, so I wasn't worried that he was going to kill her. But, you know, she was obviously very close to her father, so what would it do if she found this out? And then in Emily's case, I feel like it was both. It was emotional in that, hey, you're falling for this guy who is a serial killer, don't do that. But then also at various points throughout the book, I was very concerned for Emily's physical safety as well. I was completely invested. There was no, there was no point where I felt like the foot came off the gas and it was like, oh, here's a little breather. Like I was worried for everyone the whole time. Yeah. What about you? How did you feel about the different perspectives? And did you have a favorite? I really liked them all. One point of view that I really appreciated that kind of surprised me was when the author would intersperse the perspectives of Aiden's victims. I don't know if that's the right way to put it because I don't want to just make them just victims, but the women who, whatever, you get it. For the sake of this Um, book, I feel like they are just victims. It's very short vignettes. There's no identifying names, details, anything. Yeah. This is going to sound so messed up, but I do often think about like the things that would go through my head like in the last seconds. Oh, that and... is messed up. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is. But I mean, I think it's like this really not talked about snapshot of like existence and like I don't know, it just boils down what is terrifying about being a woman in this world, I think. But I thought it was really interesting how the author included those. And I thought they were very well done. And I don't know, just like showed their humanity in really interesting ways that I haven't seen done before in similar books. So this is a trend in true crime and and thrillers where we're being told serial killer stories through women in their lives or the women that they murdered. So notes on an execution is told by the point of view of women in the life of a man who's on death row. Bright Young Women is all about 
the victims of Ted Bundy. Did you like that Aiden's point of view wasn't ever shared? Yes, I did like that a lot. And what I was particularly impressed with is like, I found it really interesting that throughout the story, like of Emily kind of falling for, for lack of a better word for Aiden, like I totally understood why she was going through that. But at no point was I like, wow, Aiden, what a stuff, <laughs> you know, like it didn't romanticize him in any way, but I also didn't blame Emily for that because I feel like there's this common thread uh, when we talk about women who like fall for serial killers or whatever is like, how could you be that dumb? Like, how could you not know? And I think that the author really managed to like completely avoid that. Anyway, I really liked that about it. How did you feel about it? I mean, I liked that it was told from the point of view of the women. I don't think I have any real desire to be in a serial killer's head. But then again, this isn't my my jam or my genre. But there was also nothing about Aiden. I feel like he was very well drawn, but there was nothing about Aiden that made me feel like it would be interesting to be in his head or that I wanted right. to be in his head. I feel like I understood <laughs> him from the outside, kind of what some of his triggers were and who he was and how he operated without ever hearing him think or say that. So I didn't feel mm -hmm. like anything was missing by not having his point of view. And then going to what you were saying about Emily, I thought the storyline was so interesting because there's this element of predator and prey. And, mm -hmm. you know, Aiden is a serial killer. He is kind of, in his own mind, the apex predator. He's in control and he's able to force his will on these women. And the thing that is unknowingly dangerous to him is a young woman. You know, it's that he mm -hmm. is underestimating this girl who's a little bit too into him and has like too big of a crush on him and who is stalking him unbeknownst to yeah. him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When she showed up at the house and Rachel opened the door, I was literally like on the edge of my beach chair. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> I, oh, my heart was pounding. I was just like in it, but you're so right. Or when she brought the cookies and she calls him, she's like about to show up at his house. Like she is so oh guileless. Like she's obviously not doing it because she has any suspicions, but she is mm -hmm. accidentally a predator to the predator. Yeah, I love that. It kind of subverts the the common narrative. And it's because he's underestimating her, which I really appreciate too. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a great point that I hadn't considered. I listened to this interview with Jessica Knoll, who wrote Bright Young Women, which I haven't read yet, but I've heard really good things about. And she talked about how Ted Bundy, even like the judge, one of the judges, I guess during his trial or whatever, was basically like, what a shame, <laughs> like the shining light of a man or missing out on him. And when in reality, he wasn't charming. They're not smart. <laughs> like they're not any of those, those things that I think people like Ted Bundy are often like purported to be. They're like kind of dumb and useless. So did you listen to the writers on writing interview with Clemence Michelin? I just saw it yesterday and I've only listened to half of it. Me too. But did you get to the part about the weird, not weird, but did you get the part about the interconnection between Aiden and Ted Bundy? No. Oh my gosh. Tell me. Okay. So it's an Easter egg. It's not actually on the page, but at one point, the judge asks Aiden where he's from, and he says that he's from Rayford, Florida, which is 
I think, kind of near Gainesville. And the only thing that's there is a maximum security prison, and that is where Ted Bundy was executed. And Ted Bundy was executed in the electric chair. And so in this town, because of the electric chair, it messed with the power grid. So when somebody was being executed or when they were doing maintenance on the electric chair or whatever, like the lights would flicker in the whole whole town. And so when Ted Bundy (sighs) was executed, um, which I... I think she said in the interview was 1984, Aiden would have been a child. And so he would have kind of had, you know, who knows what his childhood was like, but he was growing up in this town where the lights are flickering because of the electric chair. His hometown has this connection to one of the most infamous serial killers, Ted Bundy. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) I love little things like that. Wow. That's really interesting. I can't wait to listen to the rest of that episode. I'm so excited. It's so interesting. And it was so cool to hear. And like what restraint not to put that in the book, because I would have wanted to spell that out in like hot pink font for the, for the reader. (laughs) I would be like emailing people like, please have me on your podcast so I can share this really interesting Easter egg. Right. Right. It's very subtle and very smart. Oh my gosh. It's not even mine. And I'm just so thrilled that I got to tell you. (laughs) I'm delighted. I'm like really delighted by that. Well, let's take another quick ad break before we keep talking about this book. Okay, I have a theory about getting dressed, and that is that getting dressed in the fall is a more advanced level class than summer dressing. So I feel like summer is all about convenience dressing. For me, I mostly throw on a dress. It's a lot about beating the heat and being cool enough. So I'm mostly just wearing one piece of clothing. And I have plenty of summer dresses, but then fall rolls around and you need more of an outfit. And I'm I'm just staring into my closet like, do I even own clothes? What are these for? And that, that is where Newly comes in. Yes, 100%. I love that I can use Newly to fill in those holes in my closet and maybe also do some trying before buying when it comes to the new trends to figure out if they're for me, if I want to invest in them, and overall just have fun with pieces that I know I'm only going to wear once. For example, I rented a corduroy blazer that I brought to England and it was kind of warm when I was there, but I wore it on my last night out to dinner in Notting Hill. And it's this like double breasted corduroy blazer. I wore it with a black slip skirt. And then under the blazer, I just went no shirt. I wore a cute bra. You couldn't, you could only see like a little bit of it. And I just felt like very cool and hip. And the other great thing about Newly is that it helps me save money because I'm not buying a whole new vacation wardrobe outright every time I go on a trip. So here's how it works. You get to choose six styles every month, and you can choose from thousands of styles from more than 400 brands like Free People, Farm Rio, Anthropology, Madewell, and more. And they have sizing up to 5X plus petite and maternity sizing. They offer fast and free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in their state-of-the-art laundering facility. And you have the option to buy items that you love, sometimes for up to 70% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BOP20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code BOP20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. 
newly with two U's with code BOP20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Okay, Olivia. So were, were you ever frustrated with any of the characters at any point in the story? Okay, so I will be honest and say yes. And it really forced me to confront any sort of like victim blaming instincts I have deep down in my dark soul. Because there were many times where I was like, why are you doing that? Why won't you do this? Why won't you just walk out the door? And especially with Cecilia, I was like, she's trying to help you. Please just specifically in the scene where Rachel like tries to get her to leave and she like screams and Rachel almost dies kind of thing. You just want it to like work out so badly. However, like I understand why they wouldn't do those things that I wanted them to do. And that made total sense to me. How did you feel about all of those sort of like frustrating moments for lack of a better word? So I really wasn't ever frustrated with Emily or Cecilia. I felt like I really understood why they were doing the things that they were doing. I was frustrated with Rachel, but at the same time, I absolutely understood why she was or was not doing things. So like, for example, I was so frustrated when he leaves the handcuffs unclicked. I don't know the Oh yeah, that was term. a very interesting and point. she realizes it and she actually closes them herself instead of doing anything, leaving, investigating the house, anything like that, because she thinks that he has cameras there. So I totally understood. But in my head, I was just yelling, get out of there. Like you have a head start no matter where he is. Just like run. So I was really frustrated then. I was also really frustrated that she didn't tell Emily when Emily came into the house that she wasn't like, because I get her not telling Cecilia because who knows if she would believe her this is her father. Like there's a whole different relationship, but this other woman shows up and I wanted her to be like, I'm being held captive here. Yeah. Let's get in your car and go. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I totally understood at every point why Rachel felt that she could not, but I was like, girl, we got to get out of (laughs) here. Yeah. It really added to the tension. Okay. So the scene where Aiden almost kills Rachel like in the woods and ultimately doesn't. I was kind of surprised that she lived. Did you ever think that she was going to die? Because I was like, oh, the narrator is going to switch now. Like Cecilia is going to find the body. And this is how things evolve. What did you think? Honestly, no. I never honestly thought that he was going to kill Rachel. I think I had theories about things that were going to happen that didn't end up happening, but I was never worried that he was going to kill her. I was worried that she was going to experience increased violence or sexual assault, but I did not think that he Mm -hmm. was actually going to kill her. And did you clock, I don't know if I missed other ones, but did you clock the small way that she ended up saving herself, why he couldn't kill her in the first place? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Remind me though. Maybe I did. So there's a chapter earlier in the book where Cecilia, I think it's from Cecilia's point of view, she's talking about how when she was a kid, she was obsessed with the names for groups of animals. And he brings her a new one every day and he's teaching her the different nomenclature Uh for, you know, groups of animals that, you know, they have like those silly names, like a flamboyance of flamingos or something like that. (laughs) And after he kidnaps Rachel and he's taking her to kill her, she says something about a murder of crows. She points out 
like there's just like a quick exchange, like three lines, and she points out that there's a murder of crows. And I that is what I interpreted to be the moment where she saved herself because she reminded him too much of his own daughter for him to kill her. Oh, no, I didn't catch that, but I love that. And I'm wondering huh. if there's other things that I didn't catch, but that was what I interpreted as the moment that he decided not to kill her. But then he was kind of stuck because he couldn't let her go either. Oh, man, this makes me want to reread it, actually. Huh. That's very interesting, but I didn't catch that at all. What did you think of the ending? So you thought that Rachel was going to get killed. Uh, (laughs) This sounds terrible. in that moment. (laughs) Well, so were you satisfied by the ending, I guess? Yes, I I think I was. It felt very fast. And I mean, I feel like justice was sort of, I mean, obviously you can't take back all the things that happened. But what I really appreciated about the ending was that you kind of learned how Rachel got to the shed like in reverse, which I thought there was something really satisfying about that is like you were kind of learning about the beginning of her story while you were learning about the end of it. And I really liked that. What about you? I was satisfied by it. I think it worked. I was really anticipating and hoping for an ending where Cecilia found out that Rachel was being kept there against her will, that she either walked into the room when she was handcuffed to the bed or the radiator or saw her father having an exchange with Rachel that wasn't meant for her eyes. Like, I really expected that the smoking gun to be that Cecilia found out and then that Rachel and Cecilia team up Mm -hmm. to leave together. And so I was slightly disappointed, not because the ending didn't work, but I was slightly disappointed that it didn't have to do with Cecilia. And then the thread that it wasn't left hanging because I was satisfied with the ending and I don't think it was inadequate in any way. But I did wish that I got to hear another chapter from Cecilia's point of view about how this changed her perception of her father. And I mean, that Mm -hmm. could have just been a whole nother book and is probably too complex to bite off in a really short chapter. But that was what I really wanted was to hear how Cecilia took this discovery and how it changed things for her mentally, internally, not just like she went to go live with her grandparents. Yeah. So I read the book I guess a couple months ago at this point, maybe, I don't know, six weeks. I don't know. So now that you're saying that, that is also feeling familiar to me as well. Why do you think, I feel like it had to be purposeful (laughs) that the author didn't include that because I was kind of waiting for it too. Do you think there'd be a reason? I I, I mean, I wonder if it's just too hard to address in a short period of time mm -hmm. without having pages and pages and pages. And, or if you do it in such a short, number of pages if it feels cheap or disingenuous because it is such a complex thing. So I kind of, I wonder if the author played with it at all, if that was something that was ever, that's on the cutting room floor or that she ever experimented with. But I get it. That was just a little disappointing to me. But Cecilia always had, I feel like of the three characters, she had the least page space. That's true. That's very true. I also, I felt like it was satisfying But I felt like Aiden was such a dummy. And I think, you know, the ultimate message is that his own hubris is going to be what takes him down. And, you know, so he lets this town throw a party for him. But he's like, you can't go in the house. And I'm like, Aiden, it's the middle of winter. And 
Like, where are people going to go to the bathroom? Like, of course somebody was going to go inside so your house. Stupid. Like, there's no, there's no universe in which this is an, a, a like workable plan. Uh, I had that thought too. Okay, one thing I wanted to ask you was: Were you surprised that? And again, trigger warning. But so Rachel suspected that Aiden was assaulting his daughter, and that ended up not being the case. Were you kind of surprised by that, or were you kind of just like? Neutral. I was neutral, I guess, because when she initially comes up with this theory because she hears a door opening and closing in the night, she assumes it's him going into his daughter's room. I was like, oh, of course he is. Yeah. Like, yeah, this guy. Right. And then I was looking for signs in Cecilia's chapters that she was keeping this to herself or, you know, that she was experiencing this and it never really came. And then, so it made sense then when it pivoted and that wasn't what was happening. So I was kind of just along for the ride, but I totally would have believed it. One thing about this book that struck me while reading it that you probably considered too is that the town described is essentially where I live. Wait, could you figure out what the town was? Because the only clue, quote unquote, is that it's seven letters and has a silent GH. And I was trying, because then I was like, is it Ghent? But that's only five letters. And I was like, um, I can't figure out where this is. Cause it's, wait, did she say that on the episode? No, it's in the book. Oh, I missed that. So missed at that. one point when Rachel finds in the basement the guidebooks to the Hudson Valley and it's all like highlighted or circled or whatever information about this one place. And it's it says the town is seven letters and has a silent GH. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. Wow. Because the I, author lives up. in Rhinebeck. Partially. I'm not sure, but it was so similar to mine that I found myself on walks like, yeah, it just could have been here that the car would pull up. (laughs) And um, I don't know. I found it interesting that like it didn't actually make me more scared. And I think that the reason why is something that I really liked about this book, which is that it's more a commentary on like, I feel like we as women already kind of expect this. Like there's this expectation of violence that's touched on throughout the book, but also like I feel as a woman just existing in the world that like if at any given point someone did like come up to me and kidnap me, like I wouldn't be shocked. Honestly, it's more shocking to me that I've made it this far without that happening to me. And I thought it was interesting how Rachel, but then all of the other women that are profiled, like are never actually that surprised And it just felt really honest to me, even if it was disturbing. Did you find yourself thinking about any of those themes while reading as well? Or was that just me and my dark mind? (laughs) It's you and your dark mind. Or maybe I don't, maybe I'm too optimistic. Maybe I don't have a dark enough mind. But if somebody was murdering me, I think I would be rip shit. (laughs) I see, I have watched and read and heard so many things and like, I don't know. I just wouldn't be shocked, I guess. Wow. I would be. <laughs> Sorry, I'm well, Googling to good. see like, if I can figure out the name of the town. Oh, please do. I was thinking it was, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Taghinic or whatever it's called. What's it called? T-A-G-H-K-A-N-I-C. Is that seven letters? No. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Is it possible it's just not really a town? It could be. It could be, but it seemed like such a specific clue that it was like a, if you live here, you'll be able to figure out what this is. And I was like, oh, I just like 
don't know. Sorry, I'm just like looking through some of the Goodreads to see if anyone names. Just drive around. Because now I like really want to know. I thought you would know. No. So I totally missed that. Or I just forgot about it. In my mind, it was where I live. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, this is going to happen to me. Hopefully somebody will tell us in the Facebook group. Yeah, I can't. In the first page of reviews, I can't find. Nobody IDs it. Huh. We'll have to message the author. Yeah, I'm I'm like desperate to know. Okay, so my final thing I want to discuss is that I feel like this would make an absolutely incredible miniseries for television. What do you think? Would you watch? Yeah, I think so. I think it would be really good, but I also think it would be really hard to do because specifically in Rachel and in Cecilia's chapters, less so in Emily's, so much of it is in their heads. And so I think it would be a challenge of how to get that across, that same information, because it's also so private that it's not things they would be saying aloud. So I don't know if it's like a strong use of VO or how exactly it happens. But yeah, I think I think I could totally see this being a miniseries. It would just be, how do you express that without having them say these things in dialogue or conversations? You know, I think the rights have actually been acquired. To, yes, um, to Bloomhouse Television. Oh yeah, Bloomhouse is like one of the biggest horror production companies. Interesting. Well, I guess we should stay tuned. Yeah, we'll see. Let's take one more ad break before getting into some end matter. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One way that I know my mental health is on the decline is when I start having trouble falling asleep at night. Typically, I read every night for a bit and then nod off naturally. But if I am anxious, worried, or preoccupied by racing thoughts, I toss and turn for hours and there's just no worse feeling. It turns out though that one of the best ways to feel better and work through those thoughts is to talk through them in therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In the past, therapy has been one of my mental health touchstones when I feel myself falling into old patterns and having trouble falling asleep or dealing with racing anxious thoughts. It makes getting back to a good place feel that much easier. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. And matter time. Yes. What are you obsessed with? I feel not right talking about a physical or purchased or entertainment thing given the state of the world. So I wanted to share two resources that I found really helpful given the current war going on between Israel and Hamas. The first one, which I think more people know, is Jessica Yellen, who is on Instagram. But specifically, I find her newsletter to be fantastic and has had a lot of information that I haven't seen being explained as well in other places. So I'm really enjoying Jessica Yellen's newsletter. And the second one is a creator called Under the Desk News. And they're a non-binary creator. Their name is V. And first of all, I think they have a very calming presence. They are on Instagram, but the videos get cut off. So they're mostly on TikTok, or you can see the full videos on TikTok. And I think that they have a really great way of explaining context for things that might be talked about in the news that I don't 
have a background on and don't understand. Those are such great resources, which I am definitely going to check out myself. Um, my obsession is a little bit lighter, but... Which is okay. Uh, I find... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> definitely not as important. But anyway, an incredible film I watched on a plane back from London was Past Lives, which I've been wanting to watch forever. It's so beautiful. And like, if you're like me, someone who is just often overcome with nostalgia and like thinking about different versions of yourself... It just spoke to me. If you're a Pisces, just go watch this. Just go watch this right now. Who's in it? It sounds so familiar. It's, I don't know the actors. One of them is apparently on the morning show. They're Korean. Oh, Greta Lee. Yes. I'd never seen her in anything, but it is really beautiful. It's about these childhood friends and they meet up later in life and they're kind of in different spots and it's never really the right time for them. Anyway, it's just really subtle and really beautiful. And I highly recommend if you watch on a plane, you may cry. I've been seeing really good things about this. Yeah, it's really, really nice. What have you been reading? I have nothing because you didn't I... read it all on your trip. No, I. <laughs> oh, it seems like there was <laughs> no, so I much reading time. Oh, journaling. No, not really. It was mostly, I mean, it's just when you're with a group of people, you just want to talk all the time, I think, which is a good sign, but uh, not a ton of reading for me personally was accomplished, but it seems like you have a lot. So yeah, share I, with the class. I have a few things. So as I mentioned in last week's episode with Ashley Winstead, one of the books I wanted to check out in October is Witch of the Wild Things by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland. And this is the witch romance about a woman who is from a magical family, but is kind of denying her power. She has to come back home and she ends up teaming up with her high school crush. And the magic system in it, there's kind of like a magical mystery. And it all is like botanical and horticultural in nature. And all of the imagery was really, really beautiful. And it was a light magic, but it was really beautiful. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Not scary at all. So that was a good, spooky, not scary season read for me. And then I also read this book called Throwback by Maureen Gu. So I am going on the SSR podcast, the Shit She Read podcast in November. And Grace and I were on this podcast before. Usually for the podcast, you read a book from like back in the day from when we were teenagers and revisit it. But every year the host Allie does New Reads November. And so this book came out earlier this year. You know that I'm obsessed with time travel books recently. And so this is kind of an updated take on, no, I guess it's not Freaky Friday. So it's a mother and daughter who have like a contentious relationship and the daughter ends up going back in time and has to help her mom win homecoming. And it's really fun. It's really cute. I think specifically, I would recommend it if you have a teenage daughter, it would be such a good mother-daughter book club book because there's a lot of 90s nostalgia in it, but also there's a lot of thematic plot lines about having empathy for your mother and like seeing where your mother is coming from. So anyway, I really enjoyed it. Definitely fun for the 90s nostalgia factor. Has a really great immigrant story plot line. The family in the book is Korean American. And when she goes back, the main character, the teenager is second generation. But when she goes back in time, she gets to kind of experience a lot more of what her mother and grandmother were 
going through when they were more newly arrived to the U.S. And so anyway, I really enjoyed the book. And I don't know how many moms of teens we have here, but like I do think it would be a fun buddy read for a mom and daughter. And then I read this book. Oh, nice. I'm sure people will appreciate the uh, at-home book club recommendation. Yeah. It's really cute. So it is time to unveil our November book club pick, which if you've been a careful listener, you already know, is my book, The Christmas Orphans Club. So I know a lot of you have already been reading this. I'm so excited to talk about it. This will be a spoiler conversation where we'll talk about kind of the whole plot and not just the premise. If you have thoughts on the book that you want to share, if you have a question that you want to hear answered, we're still trying to figure out how we do this book club. Send us a voicemail. You can leave us a phone message at 843-405-3157, or you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at badonpaperpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I want to give a shout out to our new Geneva group, which is kind of like a chat room-esque app. And I think it could be really fun specifically for book club type conversations. So would love to talk to you more about this book in Geneva. There's a desktop version or a phone app. And if you download it, you can just search Bad on Paper and request to join the group. Join us. <laughs> oh, do you want to take over and say you can find <laughs> us on? Do you want me to keep going? Oh, yeah. I sure. just feel like I've been talking <laughs> no, for a while. I just wanted to say join us in a strange accent. Oh, okay. um, if you want to join us in the Facebook group, you can do that as well. It's Bad on Paper Podcast on Facebook, Bad on Paper Podcast on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.